Hello and welcome to this Speedless installment of the Six Gun Justice Podcast. I'm Richard Prosh. While my saddle pard Paul Bishop and I ride the trail together for our longer episodes, Speed Listens are occasional short podcast installments wherein we ride solo. This is a special episode where we celebrate the Western fictioneers, the Western Writers of America, and author Kevin Wolfe with a six-gun conversation about his work and his Spur Award-winning story, Belt Hanger. Kevin Wolfe is a member of Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers and Crested Butte Writers. His mystery writing has been favorably compared with James Lee Burke and Pat Conroy, while his westerns explore the lyrical ground of historic Colorado. The great-grandson of Colorado homesteaders, he enjoys fly fishing, old Winchesters, and 1950s western movies. The great-grandson of Colorado homesteaders, he enjoys fly fishing, old Winchesters, and 1950s western movies. He lives in Estes Park, Colorado with his wife and two beagles. Thanks for raining in at the virtual campfire under the stars for some informal conversation, Kevin. Thank you for having me. First up, congratulations are in order for winning a Spur Award from the Western Writers of America. Wow. Yeah, that's all. I'm still I'm still surprised that uh, things worked out. But when I hear that my name is going to have a Spur Award attached to it, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. Your short story, Belt Hanger, appears in the 2020 short story anthology Under Western Stars put together by the Western Fictioneers. And it is the piece that won the Spur Award. So please tell us about the story a little bit and where you got the idea. That story has been on my computer for probably three or four years now. Kept coming back to it, tweaking it a little bit, and trying to decide where, you know, where it would fit in my writing and what I could do with it. The story actually came to me from my grandfather. My grandfather was a salesman for a wholesale auto parts company. He traveled Wyoming and Colorado. This goes back to the days, you know, just prior to World War II and, and, and right after. And he told me this story, and I was probably about 10 or 12 years old when he told this story, how one of his customers in this little town's uh, auto parts store was right on the main street. It was this two-story building. And this guy was a, a hunter, always got his deer, kind of a gun that shot, his, shot in competitive shooting events. And one day there'd been a bank robbery. And this is in the time before interstate highways. And the bank robber with a hostage was driving towards this little town. And the sheriff, this fella up in the second story of his uh, auto parts store with his deer rifle, uh, there was a stoplight. That was the only stoplight in town was outside the store. And they thought if the bank robber got that far, he might slow down for the, the stoplight. And this guy was supposed to take a shot if he had it. Now, how much of that story is true? I'm not really sure. I've tried to run it down and I'm still trying to find out. It was supposed to have happened in Lyman, Colorado. And if you do the history of Lyman, Colorado, in the uh, early 70s, the town was virtually destroyed by a tornado and a lot of the historic records were lost. But that's just, that's how the story, that story was in my, my head. And like I said, I started writing this, my part of the story and played with it for two or three years. And when I got the uh, saw that Western Fictioneers was putting this thing together, this anthology together, the element that really helped me was the requirement for the short stories. They all had to happen at night. And I'd written the story and everything was happening in the daytime. And when I made that switch from the events of the story happening in the daytime to nighttime, I think I really... Uh, it, it just added a different element to the story. I had a whole lot of fun thinking what the, what this fellow would be thinking up in the second story of, a, of an auto parts store, knowing what was happening and as he looks out on the town. 
That's, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool because sometimes a story can be stuck like that. And just one little element that you change can suddenly make it seem fresh and, and wow, then it gives you a new perspective and finish it. And that's exactly what happened with this one was just that whole the perspective of the, of the events of the story happening at the, in the evening. I love the fact that you got it from your grandpa or stories like that that come through the family and trickle down and they get changed kind of like the old telephone game. You know, they get changed a little bit. You never know quite what's real and what's not, but that's the fun of it, isn't it? That's what makes us storytellers is yeah. we hear the little bit and then we put our, uh, we add our little nuances and inflections and, uh, and stories become, a, you know, something that people remember. Now you've written novels um, and I assume you've written short stories before. Which do you prefer? My short story stuff is I, I've got two or three kind of in the works that the idea is there and I come back and massage, but I, I really think I'm a novelist. I like the long story arcs. I like to, to see the characters develop. That's where I really see myself as a writer. Is that what you wanted to do when you were young? Did you have aspirations to write? No, I didn't. <laughs> I uh, By the time I got to junior high and high school, when a teacher would assign a paper and everybody in the classroom groaned, I wasn't excited to hear about the assignment. I always thought I could write. And so I, I enjoyed the process. Um, I was always a reader. My father was a reader. He had, remember the Reader Digest condensed books that came in those wonderful hardbacks that would come out, I think, once a quarter? You bet. I, I, I just devoured those things as, as he would pass them on to me, read all those different stories. My dad would traveled in business, and he always had a paperback or two that found its way to me. And I, I, did, I did a lot of reading. Different times I thought I could I could write a story, but it was actually for me... It was after um, 9-11, I was traveling for business, and I remember those first days after after the events and how airports were just, you know, you never knew whether you were going to stand in line for an hour or you're going to breeze through security and be waiting at your gate with, you know, two hours to a flight. Right. I was coming home from Detroit. The guy I'd been working with up there dropped me off at the at the airport at two o'clock for, I think, a four o'clock flight. And in 15 minutes, I was sitting at near empty terminal waiting for a flight that wasn't going to leave for an hour and a half. And I'd finished a pretty forgettable paperback sometime during that trip. Went to the you know little convenience store there, looked at what they had, and nothing really appealed to me. And I opened up my laptop and started writing a story right then. It's a very forgettable story, <laughs> but that's but that's that's really when I started I thought I could be serious about that. And so I started writing this story. Took some adult education classes on writing. I think the best thing about that first story is that I finished it. It's not very good. I know I read it several times, but just the. The discipline to go through and write, you know, 75 or 80,000 words, I think, because that's that got me started. I found a Rocky Mountain fiction writers someplace along the process, began attending their conferences, joined a critique group, you know, jumped from that project to something else that was a little bit better. Yeah. And saw my writing grow. And, you know, a lot of those people in my critique group became very good friends. I think that's a really good point about the discipline, just seeing seeing yourself through and, and doing it and having something done, even if it's not any good, you know, it, uh, we all write stuff that's not good. And we all we all have to just keep working. And it is a discipline. Some of your early work there paid off with The Home Place, a mystery, which is your first novel, I believe. First published novel, yes. And yeah. 
and it won the Tony Hillerman Prize. So that was another, uh, yeah, that was another surprise that came out of nowhere. The, at that time, the Hillerman Award was going to an unpublished mystery author. The setting of the novel had to be someplace in the Southwest. And as the contest defined that, that was West Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Southern Colorado, Southern Utah, Southern Nevada, and Southern California, if it didn't touch the ocean. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, my story was set in eastern Colorado. My mother's side of the family were homesteaders there and kind of modeled the, the town after this little town that my uh, my relatives had had their, uh, their farm and ranch around. When they told me the one, I was just absolutely floored that I'd had something that was good enough to be, a, you know, attached to a Tony Hillerman name and that. That's really wonderful. You mentioned your family are homesteaders in Colorado. Are you into family history and genealogy and that sort of thing? Are you the, you know, are you the family historian or, or is it something that you've just sort of come along as, as you've been writing that you've learned about your family or how did that develop? My connection to the family homestead really came through a, a favorite uncle. He remembered living out on Eastern Colorado on the farm and he would take me and another cousin I think probably when we were in our teens we'd go out to the what he referred to as the home place later on it became a annual fall event we'd go out to hunt antelope you know then there were other trips out to hunt quail and rabbits and that kind of stuff over this period of time I saw this little town change like so many of these uh, farm communities are changing. When I remember going out as a teenager, there was three cafes, two gas stations, and uh, a nice little grocery store. I was out there last October. There's only one of the, the restaurants is still open. The only gas station is a two-pump self-serve kind of thing. There's a uh, retirement home in the town. And so many of those old farm people, you know, just don't want to leave and, and move into that. Big business has taken over the farms. They were um, just a couple of years ago, there was a seismic crew out there, you know, shaking the ground looking for oil when we were out there for our annual hunting trip. So, you know, that's kind of the, my connection. Let's see, two years ago, the family homestead was recognized by the state of Colorado Department of Agriculture as a centennial farm, which they define as 100 years in the same family and still a working property. That's great. I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, and it's the same thing. You know, my grandpa's aunt talked about the city and the the and she called it a city, you know, 1,400 people. Uh -huh. But it was a city for her that was on the grow. Uh, she saw the train come in. She saw all of this stuff in the early 1900s. And then I saw it in the middle of the century, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And like you just described, my hometown has gone the same direction as far as the businesses that are now leaving or consolidating or whatever. You know, I think there's just a, a fascinating slice of American history there. That, that we can get a grip on. And as writers, that's that's a treasure, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it certainly is. I was going to ask about the town a little bit more. Is Colorado Mining Town, is, that's the basis for uh, your other novels in the uh, Broke Heart series, right? Where it's about a frontier newspaper man. Yeah, now that's a little bit different. That uh, my other side of the family, my father's father, in the early 1950s, purchased a, a cabin on Kenosha Pass, which is southwest of Denver, and it's on the edge of South Park. Gee, from the time I was a grade school kid, we'd spend the weekends up this this cabin, and it's not so far from the mining towns of Fairplay and Como and Alma. And every year, there's a uh, they do a burrow race 
from uh, Fairplay up to Leadville. Uh, the town of Fairplay, the State Historical uh, Society has this, has reconstructed this old ma- mining town, you know, brought in buildings and cabins from around the area and one of these live walking museums. So when uh, I started putting together the story for Brokart, it was that's based in the mining towns of the 1880s period where uh, the home place is a contemporary uh, contemporary western you know plains of eastern colorado today so when you write do you go out you know out into the wilderness do you visit the the small towns kind of get a feel for things do you use and, and incorporate things from your explorations then back in your writing oh sure oh sure sure one of the best experiences i had when writing home place was i uh, one of the characters in home place is a lady game warden and i reached out to colorado D- department of game and fish said i was writing this this novel and did, was there anybody i could talk to name put put me in touch with a young woman that was just finishing her first year as a uh, game warden in a district in eastern Colorado. We corresponded a bit, and she invited me out, and I did. I rode around with her, I guess it was a day and a half, and it was uh, just happened to be the time that the little county was having their county fair, and we uh, we went out and saw a mountain lion kill where a farmer had lost a calf to a mountain lion the, the night before. We bumped around in, some, uh, in a canyon down in the the southeast corner of Colorado that you wouldn't imagine would be there. This in this out of these flat plains, suddenly it dropped off into this uh, this just beautiful set of canyons, and there was uh, mountain sheep down in there that just few people realize are there. It's right on the border with New New Mexico. And we we were driving out, and we uh, stopped at a place that just happened to be uh, a family was there opening up the, this old building that was their family's homestead, and they used it as a you know kind of a summer retreat. And they told us the history of, of, of their family, and that yeah, that was one of the most fun times I've had. And like I say, you know, the other thing was just tromping the woods as a kid, doing hikes and stuff like that. I try to, in my, in my writing, you know, to bring in a lot of the touch and feel and smells of what's around the various characters, whether it's in the mountains or out on the plains. Yeah, that really adds a lot of depth and, and richness to the reader's experience. Do you write every day? I write, yeah, I take Sundays off and write. My pattern right now is I've got a critique group that we Zoom together on Monday evenings. And so uh, Tuesday is usually a day to take what I what I presented the night before, do some, some you know, some tune-ups. And then I try to write, oh, my sweet spot is if I can write four to five pages a day, I can, at the end of the week, have between 20 and 30 pages done. It adds up. It really does. Yeah, and it's the old thing where you know, we've all heard it before that the inspirations for a story last five, 10 minutes at the, at the most. <laughs> and right. then it's just the, and then you just got to put your rear end in a seat and keep your hands on the keyboard. Right. You know, uh, the writer Dean Wesley Smith says uh, it's a lot like how do you eat an elephant? You know, one, one bite at a time. I'd like to wrap up our conversation by pointing listeners to your website, www.kevinwolfstoryteller.com. And you're active on social media as well, right? Yeah, I'm around Facebook. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. And congratulations again on the Spur Award. And it's been a real joy visiting with you today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed the time too. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America, 
for making this podcast possible. Be sure to check our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.